the benefits of having people with disabilities or people who are different in any way is exactly that. Their experiences, they bring something new to the table. They bring a different aspect of ideas. They bring different thought processes. But specifically, I think, with people with disabilities, they are constantly, every single day, living in a world that isn't built for them. Right? So they are constantly problem solving. They are constantly... Welcome to Better Business Founder, the podcast for purpose-driven business founders seeking to build a meaningful business on their own terms. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how better business founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Are you ready to create change with your business? If so, let's go. episode is with Liz Johnson. For those who don't know, Liz Johnson is a former British swimmer and gold medalist who won multiple medals in the Paralympics, European Championships and World Championships, just to list a few of her achievements. After she retired from her swimming career, Liz co-founded The Ability People, TAP a for-profit social enterprise dedicated to empowering the skilled disability population and helping companies enhance processes and adapt cultures. When I invited Liz to be a guest on my podcast, I wanted to find out more about the challenge of employing people with disabilities and how TAP is addressing this challenge. But I realized I didn't understand the issue correctly because I thought of it as a challenge. But what if, instead of using the word disability, we use the word difference? Then the challenge becomes the opportunity. Through the lens of differences, people with disabilities become a pool of opportunities many companies could tap into. And that's where the work of the ability people comes in. This conversation made me realize how my understanding of the issue of hiring people with disabilities in companies was biased. I really enjoyed this conversation with Liz. I still have a lot to learn, but I'm already very grateful to Liz for showing me a brand new perspective. And if you're interested in hiring someone with disabilities for your own business, for a freelance job, for example, you might consider the new app that Liz and her team have launched recently. She will tell us all about it at the end of this conversation. I really hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. Welcome, Liz Johnson. Hello, Liz. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you very well. I am thrilled to talk to Liz Johnson, who's joining us from... Where are you today, actually? Actually, I'm back in Wales now. Yes, I've been in Brazil, done some quarantine time in Ireland. Now I'm back home in, in Wales. Okay, and where where are you going next? You're staying in Wales or you're going? So I actually go to cover the broadcasting for the Paralympic Games. But as with everything that has happened recently, um, we're not going to Japan. We are, well, I am actually going to be based between Northwest London and Leeds. So I'm going to be flicking between the two, traveling back and forth for the next two weeks. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, no Japan, but um, still get to work on the games, which is really exciting. Mm. Okay, Um, I'd like to start up with something quite different. Um, I'd like you to share with us the vision of the world you want your children to be living in. Oh, wow. That's a deep, big, a big question to start, hey? I think for me, I want, I would love the future and hopefully my future children to be living in a world where people are free to be who they want to be, um, to express themselves in a way that they're comfortable with, um, and a world where people are kind um, and actually non-judgmental, where we've got to a point where people appreciate differences of strength and people don't have to justify their differences or fight for the right to be included because we've got to that place. And I don't think it will happen in my in my children's lifetime and maybe maybe generations down the road. But for me, that's the future that I would like. I would hope that actually people feel comfortable enough to be who they are 
and still have opportunity to succeed in areas that they want. So that brings us to your business, which has a wonderful, wonderful tagline, which is tap into potential. Your business is the ability people tap into potential. So I believe that your business is um, is supporting the, your vision of the world. So can you, you know, share with us? Tell us what it's all about. Yeah, so the ability people, um, exactly that. It builds on my vision for the future is actually what gets me out of bed right now. It's my vision right now too, but I, I'm not so naive that I realise that it's not going to take decades to achieve it, unfortunately. But yeah, the organisation is called the Ability People, and, and then, yes, that does abbreviate to TAP. And there's so many um, good uses then of TAP. You know, you, like you said, you can tap into potential, you can tap into people's skills, you can you can tap up people to, to find out their information. So you could you could use the word TAP all day in that sort of, pun environment but actually the ability people I did I set it up with my co-founder Steve Carter because I was impelled and compelled to do something about the fact that the world isn't fair and I'm very frustrated by the fact that people with disabilities specifically seem to get a more negative experience of trying to find work and then even when they find it their actual experience of a workplace is not always as positive as those without disabilities. But actually, the more work that we do in that area, the more we we delve more into authentic inclusion as a whole and normalising all differences, because actually, that's important. And that's, that's what creates success. And so the ability people, when we were setting it up, we were like, right, why is it that people with disabilities are twice as likely in the UK, um, almost almost double that in in America, to be unemployed compared to that of people who don't have a disability, especially when such a large proportion of the population have a disability. Um, What is it? Why is it? Um, So we looked into it, and there were a number of reasons, as with everything, but one that kept coming up was this reality that people misunderstand what disability actually is and what it represents and how people interpret it. So I was like, right, well, in that case, I want to create an environment that showcases what people with disabilities are capable of, but doesn't um, favour a certain type of individual, because I think that's the reality. When you look at areas where people don't have a lot of knowledge, they'll have one experience and they'll base their entire uh, decision-making processes and experiences and knowledge on that one interaction. Uh, So you've got to give a fair representation of the demographic, which means that it has to be diverse. So we looked for a way to create meaningful employment for people with disabilities by removing as many unnecessary barriers as possible. And so initially, my business partner, he has a career and a history in recruitment. He shared my frustrations, but for different reasons. He was like, I'm supposed to be finding talent for jobs, yet We've exhausted the talent pools and we rarely see anybody with disabilities. And actually he um, found found me, came across um, me um, through watching the coverage of the Paralympic Games. And so he was like, right, these people exist, but they don't only exist in sport. Like they must exist in the world. So how do I tap into this group and find them? Which is where I guess he reached out to connect with me and we we discussed our frustrations and we, and we come at the the same problem from very different angles. What it meant was, I was like, we need to work in a world where we can remove all the unnecessary barriers. And he was like, well, recruitment doesn't have barriers in the sense that, or it does have barriers, but working in recruitment, the barriers can be removed because actually it doesn't matter where you make those calls from or how you conduct those interviews or or when even. So we were like, right, okay, then we'll look at recruitment organization, setting up a recruitment organization, and we will create opportunities for people with disabilities to work. So we assembled a team, sounds like the Avengers, but we assembled a team, <laughs> and we were like, right, okay, let's go. And training up was fine, and, and actually it was very successful because people, organizations wanted to partner with TAP because they understood that we were going to be able to attract diverse talent and these people who they'd be missing out on for so long because people would resonate with us and we would understand them which is exactly what happened but the issue then went that when we you tried to place these people 
they would often get placed, but then wouldn't necessarily have a great experience once they were in the role because we would then cease to be involved at that point in a traditional recruitment sense. And also, sometimes they wouldn't have a good experience because the recruitment processes weren't set up to enable people to access them in more than one way. So if you didn't fit the mould and tick the boxes, for want of a better phrase, then you didn't progress through the process. So we were very much then advising and consulting and and helping organisations understand the glitches in their processes and, and looking at finding solutions to how um, how this could be changed and how we could create processes that did enable people to showcase their skill sets in a way that they were comfortable with and and present them their best selves. So what we quickly realized very quickly was the issue isn't in recruitment itself. It's in people understanding what an inclusive process looks like and then looking at how once those people are in the organization how you interact with them authentically and enable them to be successful so we very quickly moved from working in recruitment because there are tens of thousands of brilliant recruiters out there that wasn't what people were looking for from us what people were looking for from us was the ability to help them understand how to interact with people with disabilities, how to normalise difference, and how to create an authentically inclusive environment. So ultimately, that's what we ended up doing at TAP. And I think the reason why so many people consulted with us and, and got us involved and wanted to work with us is because our team is very naturally diverse but that wasn't what we set out to be obviously we just assume that's going to happen if you're authentically inclusive then you will be diverse so we didn't have to put it as a target because we knew it would happen as a byproduct of being authentically inclusive but what it means is people see it they can see that tap is different but tap works and that gives them a bit of confidence then that This isn't a a too big a mountain to climb. It isn't an impossible task and it it can be done. And beyond filling out a role, uh, what are the benefits of employing uh, someone with a disability? The benefits of having someone with a disability in the company? I think the benefits of having people with disabilities or people who are different in any way is exactly that. Their experiences They bring something new to the table. They bring a different aspect of ideas. They bring different thought processes. But specifically, I think, with people with disabilities, they are constantly, every single day, living in a world that isn't built for them, right? So they are constantly problem-solving. They are constantly having to take on the burden of other people's misconceptions and understandings. I'm not saying that's right, but it's a fact. They have to in order to survive. So therefore, they naturally become more resilient and more motivated and better problem solvers because they can give things context and they don't they don't panic when, when they look at problem solving in a way. They're like, what can we do to remove these barriers or overcome these barriers that exist? And there is an element of um, they pick up the rest of the team as well because I've been in situations before when I've been doing things not necessarily in the workplace but just in life and people will go well if you could do it I definitely should be able to do it because I would do things with one arm and one leg and so they would naturally think I was starting at a place of disadvantage so if I've managed to succeed it can be inspirational not in a sycophantic patronizing way but it can it can bring the rest of the team up and also depending on the disability, quite often people have different ways of looking at problems and therefore different solutions get presented. Now, they might not be the best solution, but it means that every angle is covered and therefore you naturally end up with a more productive workforce and a more successful workforce because a person with a disability, like I said, they're already up against it. So if they're coming to work for you or with you, then they've researched what they're going to have to do they know that they can do that and they are going to give absolutely everything they've got because one they don't want people to go oh you can't do that because you've got this melody (laughs) they don't want to they don't want to fail like they want to prove people wrong ultimately they they have enough fight going on in their life in every day catching public transport or going to do your food shopping or or 
I don't know, changing a light bulb, whatever. Like the world is not built for people who are not typical, whether that be um, neurotypical, whether that be physically, whether that be in terms of um, anything to do with. If you deviate from what society perceives to be typical, then you're going to have problems, right? And so that is why naturally they become more resilient and they pull everybody along with them, I think. And sometimes people with disabilities need adaptations. They need to do things differently. But often that benefits the majority. So, for example, Mm. we obviously in this world of COVID that we are living in, we have very much switched to virtual meetings and we and we're having conversations regularly without even batting an eyelid with people in different parts of the world in different time zones no one cares anymore but for decades some people with impairments have been asking to join meetings virtually now it might be that they want to work from home virtually or it might just be that they don't deal well with a lot of people in the same space at the same time but actually now that the majority needed it, we've done it and we've realized the benefits of virtual meetings. So you can dial in at eight o'clock because it's okay because you don't have to worry about your commute. Or you can speak to someone on the other side of the world and you don't have to fly there because it's okay, it still works. So often you can make adaptations. And I think we should call them adaptations rather than adjustments because adjustments is still seen as like it's not typical, it's not normal, it's not it's not what we should be doing. Whereas actually an adaptation is a permanent thing. It can be an option for everybody. And and more more people can benefit from these adaptations than just the people that that require them. I think you mentioned something, um, giving meaningful employment. And somehow I think I read something about you know uh providing a job for skilled workforce. What is the challenge for highly skilled people with a disability? What's the main challenge? I think the biggest challenge for people with disabilities who are looking for work or even looking for opportunities just in life is the misconceptions that go with what it means to be disabled or have a disability. And so that's why at TAP we very much focus on meaningful employment because it's one thing finding someone a job and giving them a job, but if it doesn't motivate them and it doesn't challenge them and it doesn't Mm. make them want to get out of bed in the morning and show what they're capable of then it's not meaningful it's just employment and people get bored and people either leave or they don't do the job very well and there's this idea that actually it's an achievement to have a person with a disability working well if they've got a phd in astrophysics then having them working in the local supermarket on the till is not meaningful employment. Now, that's not to say, like, I, I've always wanted to work on a till. I, 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 like, as a child, I really wanted to, and I still actually would love to work on a till. But what I'm saying is it's about, it's, about, it's about the human. It's about the person. Not every person with a disability has the same life experience. Not every person with a disability has the same ceiling of capability. Not every person with a disability has the same desires. Just like not every human, like we're all human at the end of the day. And so I think the biggest challenge for people with, um, you know, for looking for skilled work with, when they've got a disability is the fact that people assume they're not capable and actually sometimes don't even get the opportunity to prove that they are because the assumption is made and they are filtered into a different channel or filtered out of a process before they've been asked the question. because. People don't want to ask them a question because they're too scared to ask them. And this fear that surrounds these conversations, and it's not just with disability, it's with race, it's with gender, it's with sexual orientation, it's with any difference, right? This this fear that exists means that the conversations don't happen and people aren't able to prove what they're capable of or even just dispel them and again that's what we do at tap is we try to create safe environments for people to ask those difficult questions so that you can explore the answers because it's education it's exposure and increasing those things increases empathy because otherwise we'll never move forward so i guess like the the short answer is that the biggest challenge or barrier is that people who are different and specifically people have disabilities carry the burden of the rest of society's ignorance. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know how it works in the UK. Um, in France, we have this thing for companies of a, of a certain size, you must employ someone or a, a certain percentage of people with a disability. And most of the time, I mean, it's becoming better. Most of the time, you just give them a job just to, you know, to be okay with the, with the law. So is it such thing in the UK? Yeah, so we don't have exactly the same system. And like other countries, and there are countries around the world that do, you either have to employ a certain quota or you pay a fine. And some people opt to pay a fine. And again, this is because people don't understand what disability represents in 2021. That quota question is always a difficult one, right? Because should you have quota, should you not? And you need something to get the ball rolling. You need something to give momentum, to initiate the movement, to start things, the process, make things happen. However, if it's not done with understanding and education, then it, all it does is, is compound the issue. For example, if you were running a restaurant and you needed to employ a disabled person or a person with a disability and they, you decided they were going to be a waitress and you employed me, I'm going to be very bad at that job, right? Mm. I'm going to drop yeah. things. I'm going to spill things over customers. I'm like one in five meals might make it to the table it needed to get to, right? So then all that's done is you go, see, told you they wouldn't be very good for this job. Similarly, it might be that you, you find a person who is suited to it, they do it well, and you're like, yes. But if you are going to go down that route of having coaches, again, for anything, then it's, it's not a long-term solution. After, after, I would say, a maximum of two years, you should no longer need a policy of quota because you should know what you're doing. You should have created an environment that's inclusive and it should naturally attract the, the people that represent society. So um, I think, and it's difficult because then you have, and again, I think this is in France, like, or it wasn't like the last time I checked. You need to have these people that fill this quota, but you're not actually allowed to ask them if they have a disability. So then how yeah. do you... How, how are you supposed to figure that out? And so, so that's a challenge then for the people hiring because they're like, and actually the reality is what you want to do or what anyone wants to do anywhere in the world is remove unnecessary barriers, enable everyone to apply, and naturally you'll end up with the right people in the jobs. And naturally, because the world is diverse and the, I mean, it's not always inclusive, but it is very diverse, naturally what you will end up with is, a, is an almost um reflective representation of all different demographics because that's the maths that's the science that's what will happen but i think a lot of people are so um behind not because they want to be not because they can be blamed for it but because of the way the world works the education hasn't moved on in this area even though we know that females are just as capable as males mm. we are still talking about gender pay gaps like why so, so I think it's about this exposure and education around what difference actually is and what it represents and looking back to your previous question about the benefits of employing people who are different, like looking at those and looking how they are performance related. They can be related to performance. They can be related to like output. And then reinforcing those points and those lessons because at the moment people are making those judgments based on their experience or based on what they know. And the reality is the world has changed. So what they know is historical and we need to bring it into 2021. Do you mind talking about your own disability and um, what you have achieved despite of your own disability? Yeah, so I was born with my disability, which in some respects is a blessing because I always say like I'm blissfully ignorant to, to how difficult the world is, <laughs> how much easier it might be if I didn't have a disability. So I've got a, a, a disability called cerebral palsy, which is essentially um, brain damage. So at birth, my brain was starved of oxygen. And the way it impacts me is that the whole of my right side of my body is weaker and less coordinated and smaller than my left side. So I'm very left-hand side dominant. Um, my left arm is probably my best limb. Mobility-wise, I, I can walk, um, but I, I can't walk far, and I wear splint, my leg. Um, so it's, it's a physical impairment that I have. And actually, 
Sometimes it's invisible in the sense, like right now I'm talking to you and you wouldn't be able to tell because you can't see, you haven't asked me to do anything with that <laughs> um, and, and my speech isn't affected. Um, so, so yeah, in that sense, you wouldn't know. So, so a lot of the time people don't notice, but then very much I don't do anything typically because it's the whole right side of my body. There's nothing really that I do that is standard for want of a better phrase. But again, people don't notice often that I've eaten a whole meal without using a knife because it's my normal and it's completely natural to me. Then it doesn't, I don't make it look awkward. So people don't notice. Um, but what it's meant is like exactly what, like what we've been talking about already, that everything I've done in my entire life has been some kind of problem-solving mission, like some bigger than others. But it's meant that I've made choices and sometimes they haven't necessarily been the choice I wanted to make, but they've been the choice that I've needed to make um, in order to succeed. It means that sometimes I've had to work a bit harder to get the same result as, as my peers, or it's taken me longer, or I've needed to ask people to help me or or buy equipment or, or have equipment to help me. So, for example, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, for example, when I was at school, my mum used to put Velcro on the top two buttons of my shirt when I went to high school I could dress myself but it took me longer than it took everyone else so and you don't have the luxury of time when you're at school so our solution was that my mum sewed the velcro in and she put it on and I could just close my shirt and um off I went there were ways around things like we'll stick on the school shirt thing like when I was in school it was fashionable to roll your sleeves up on your shirt you'd have a long sleeve shirt and you'd roll up the sleeves now they sold short sleeve shirts and was like well we'll just buy you short sleeve shirts and I was like no 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 because <laughs> all of my friends are wearing long sleeve shirts with the with the shirt rolled up and she's like yeah but you can't do that on your left arm I'm like no but you can and so every weekend when she did the washing she would hang my shirts in my cupboard with the left sleeve already rolled up and then I would roll my right sleeve up now, I could have if I had wanted to, and it would have been sensible to buy the short sleeve shirts, but no. Yeah. So, but again, so, but that's my preference. And I think the one thing that my disability didn't ever do, and my mum was very supportive in, was it never changed my personality. I was Liz first. And actually, the disability I, it's part of who I am, and it, and it has influenced my life. I mean, I wouldn't have been a Paralympic swimmer if I didn't have a disability. And I wouldn't have had those experiences. I wouldn't have been around the world. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, it probably wouldn't be as aware um, of the issues that I am to be able to fight. Like, I wouldn't have the platform to do what I do now. So I would, like, it would be naive of me to say that it hasn't impacted me at all. It's impacted me massively, but it has never defined me. And I think that's the most important thing that I would like people whether they're listening to this podcast or anybody really that's just thinking of disability or exploring disability to know that a disability is just a part of who you are, just like any other characteristic that changes you. It influences you, but it doesn't need to define you. I think from the various conversations that we had, um, I, I would see you rather as a fighter, you know, someone who shakes things up or wants to, to create change and, um, and uh, because you're a fighter, because you're a competitor, and you didn't mention that, but you need to say that you are a gold medalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess because it's because it was so long ago. I forget it now. It's like a former life. <laughs> um, no, yeah, no. I, like, again, I was very, like, well, well, I worked hard, and I was fortunate that everything came together at the right time for me to win a gold medal at the Paralympic Games. Um and I'll always be grateful for that experience and, and, and I, I always treasure that result. But I think, again, it would be amiss of me not to realise that it was the experience that got me to winning that gold medal that helped me become who I am. And it wasn't easy. Like I was never the most naturally gifted swimmer, but I had everything it took to be a good athlete. And, and so I put that all together and I rode the roller coaster of emotions and results throughout my career. Um, and actually, yes, it, it made me realize that things are worth fighting for, but it also made me realize that you've always got a choice and it's quite empowering to own that choice. Because again, I think if you're different, especially if you're from a minority demographic, 
again, you shoulder that burden of people that don't understand you. And you're like, as a, as a child, my mum always brought me up to believe that I could do whatever I wanted. Like I said, I might not do it like everybody else. and It might take me longer. But if, if I put my mind to it, I would, I would find a way. But also to be realistic. Um, and I think that that mentality helped me massively. And I, and I learned so much from it. And it meant I'm in a position now to fight for others. Because that experience and that that accolade, people can relate to it. It resonates with people. And so I've got that platform. And actually, it's a lot easier to fight for somebody else than it is to advocate for yourself. But I think because when you're advocating for yourself, I don't know if it's you feel like you've got more to lose or you think it's going to hurt more. or But I, but I don't know. But I just find the older I'm getting that passion is coming out more and more and I'm more than happy to fight. And I will, I've always been willing to fight for people, but I'm now I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, like I'm not going to accept that you can't change this as an answer. But yeah. So I would say I am a fighter, but again, I think that comes from the fact that when I was younger, I had to fight to succeed. Cause one thing my mum always said to me is nobody's going to understand. People are going to assume you can't do things. So you're going to have to be better than everybody else in order to get the same opportunity. And she said to me, she said, it's not right and it's not fair, but that's the world that we live in. And so you've got a choice and I'll always support you, which she absolutely did. That stuck with me because it's true. Like we are all ultimately responsible for us. Nobody cares about us more than, than us. And like, that's important. People can fight for you so far, but actually you have to be able to, to go on that that journey with them and 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 actually part of fighting for yourself sometimes is finding someone else with a voice that is willing to stand up for you that's not to say you're not fighting for yourself it's knowing and i say this as an athlete i say it as an athlete mentor i say it as a person you've got to be willing to work out what works best for you and realize what you need to be successful and that that sometimes is other people why did you decide to create, to co-found, to launch this uh, for-profit business and not an NGO? Yeah, so I think, again, like we get asked this question a lot. And I think, well, firstly, the reason I um, looked to co-found was because I, 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 I couldn't do it by myself. I, I realized I'm not the finished article. Like, again, like we were just <laughs> talking about the fact that strength differences strength and, and and there's power in numbers and, and actually Steve and I are very very different but it's what makes it work so there's that element of it and like we could do more together than we could separately but also the idea of being for profit was one of the biggest obstacles that surrounds people's attitude towards dis- people with disabilities and the understanding of disability is the way that it's represented and actually this idea don't get me wrong. There are I've benefited. There are amazing charities out there that do amazing things. But quite often, when it comes to disability, that's all people associate disability with is charity or pity or people needing help. And we were like, no, that's not it. There's definitely a place for that. And and actually, when parents, young parents or older parents, are having children and they're faced with disability and difference, they need those people have got this information, got the resources that can support them and help them. And there'll always be a place for charity. But it sometimes skews people's opinions or behaviours towards people with disabilities because they're like, oh yeah, we'll help you when we can. Or if you're doing it for a charity, then it's not necessarily seen as an essential part of life because if there's not enough money in the charity, then it can't happen. Um, And I think I learned this when I retired from swimming and I was doing a lot of other work. People value things that they pay for, especially in business. Like, for example, if you're doing something for free, people fit it in when they can. But if they're paying for a service, they prioritize it and they make it happen. So that was the main benefit for being, well, not only the main benefit the main, or the main um, motivator for being for profit, but actually our mission was to create meaningful employment for people with disabilities. We're not making any money. We can't pay them. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
So how did it all start? When you you retired from your uh, swimming career and then you met your co-founder, Steve, yeah. and uh, so you, what did you do? Did you, you ring companies and say, oh, okay, I'm Liz, I'm... Um... So again... It grew quite organically. This was the beauty of it. And I, I was very fortunate, even as a swimmer, my parents and my friends, everyone, they grounded me. And my mum always used to say to me, you're only as good as your next swim. Nobody cares. If you get injured or if the world moves on and you can't keep up, then that's it. Like, they're not going to pay your bill. You need a backup plan. It can be over in an instant. Click of the fingers. So I... um. I did a business management degree and I always thought I would be an accountant because again, when I started swimming, nobody even knew what the Paralympics was. Like there wasn't this understanding that you could do a, a greater good um, from being a Paralympian, you know, like there was like nobody appreciated the value in the expertise and the experiences of being a Paralympian in the way that they do now. So I could never have envisaged that being a Paralympian would bring me to the life I have now. Like, even next week, I'll go to broadcast on the Paralympic Games. They weren't even on the television when I was a child. If someone had asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I couldn't have said, oh, yeah, present the Paralympics, because they would have been like, huh, yeah, very funny. So I was, I, so I had a business background, and I was very fortunate that when I was swimming, some of my sponsors, like, they were in the corporate world. So they, they included me and involved me, and they knew that I wanted to go into that world. So part of the partnership was... Like they would upskill me and I would be involved in conversations. And I sat on, as the athlete representative, I sat on boards. And so I got that experience of being in life after swimming, even whilst I was still in swimming. The other thing is a lot of athletes, when they retire, it's forced upon them. Like either they get injured or they don't qualify for a competition. But I was very much in control. Like I, I started transitioning out. I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I'm at peace with my decision to retire. I don't feel like there's any stone left and turned. So it meant that I could throw myself into the next opportunities. And I basically just went through a phase where I said yes to everything and to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And then Steve and I, we had a chat. Well, it wasn't a chance meeting. He found me. Like I said, he saw me on the coverage of the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. And he got me into a company that he was working with at the time to talk about being motivated and being resilient and and all the lessons that I'd learned from sport that I could apply to business and so then we just got talking and that's when that's when we both realized we had the same frustration we're coming in from a different angle and so then we started to explore if it was possible to fix it and the reality is it's not impossible to change the world in a day but you can change someone's world so that's what we about doing with tap and actually you've got to be realistic But the mountain is so big to climb that we wanted to do our bit in our lifetime. And so that's what we're doing. But similarly, we've been talking about this issue for decades. And there's been a very small movement on the dial. That's where TAP was born. And I think it's grown organically. And it's it's absolutely fueled by both of our passions and the passion of the people in our team. And there's so much work to still do in this space that we can continue to do that. You said it grew very organically, but are there any lessons learned? Oh yeah, heaps, heaps of lessons <laughs> learned. I think every, I think we were naive, right? As in, like we were naive about how little people understand this space. So what would happen is we would always, and we still do. We still like we will talk to anybody that needs advice. Um, but in the initial instance, we were so enthusiastic. Well, we still are enthusiastic. That hasn't gone. But the point was. We were so enthusiastic. We would go to a meeting and we would give them all these exams. We would tell them all these things. But they were so far off the pace that they would take that meeting and be like, oh, yeah, we'll do all that stuff that they talked about. And it would move them so far further on than where they were that they think they'd done enough then or they wouldn't engage. Or we were so passionate about helping people that we would end up giving it all away for free. And actually, <laughs> that isn't for profit, but also... I think we not undervalued what we were bringing to the table, but we just got caught off guard sometimes. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that we learned is actually people people aren't there and people don't prioritize it. They want to. Nobody nobody doesn't want to help people with disabilities get jobs, right? Everybody wants to. But at what price, I think, is the key. And, and, and where is it on their priority list and how do they view that? And actually, 
it was quite disheartening. It was quite disheartening to realise just how misunderstood disability is. So then we we changed our tact and we changed the way that we engaged and we changed our offering, like I said, because we were recruiting in inverted commas, but we were actually doing all the consulting to enable the recruiting. Whereas actually then we, we sort of, Rather than go in as the guise of recruiters and then do consulting, we very much now consult. And then if we can help on a recruitment project, then we will. So you work mainly in the UK? No, so we're global. So again, that's another another benefit to the ability people is that we all work remotely. And we all work on different time zones because of the nature of our impairments and our lifestyles. So we've always got coverage. As a team, we can work from wherever, whenever. Um, some of the team have very fixed hours because that's what works for them. Some people have very fixed locations because that's what works for them. But as a unit at TAT, we have no limitations in that sense. So yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So you work in the UK and in other in other countries. Yeah, yeah. So we worked all over the world. We have some some um, of our consultants base themselves periodically in other parts of the world. Again, due to lifestyle. I mean, even myself, I spend a lot of time in South America. So then I'm on that time zone and we travel, obviously not at the moment, though things are starting to move around again. So yeah, there's no barrier in that sense to who we help and how we help them. How would you define success for your business? Okay, so that was a good question, isn't it? But now I'll go back to being an athlete because I think this is one of the biggest lessons I learned. Um, I got wiser as I got older. But when I was younger, if you asked me what success was, it was a certain exam grade or a certain time on the clock or a certain color medal. Um, but I actually, what I've realized as I've got older is you can have all of that stuff. You can have a big house, a nice car, a good relationship. You can have all these material things, like a, a, a certain income that you were hoping for. But ultimately, if you weren't happy, then you're not successful. And so for me, that kind of applies in terms of our organization as well. So we want the team that, that works with TAP to obviously have output, but ultimately be happy in what they're doing and feel like they are making a difference. So that's what success looks like. And then in terms of actually like with clients, things again, getting people to be comfortable with being able to do their job, whoever walks through the door, whoever they interact with, And obviously, increasing disclosure rates, absolutely, that is the arbitrary way of um, judging our success. But again, even then, that still links to happiness. So are people happy enough to tell you that they're different? Um, Are they happy enough to come to work? And, And do they feel like they're getting the most out of it? So for me, I think it's that success looks like, again, that holistic environment. When you go to a client, everybody feels like they can be who they need to be. Um, you can see in inverted commas because actually different some difference is invisible. You can't see it, but but by looking at the way in which people conduct themselves and the output that is produced from that client in whatever sector they work in, everybody doing that with a little bit of joy. We can't all love what we do all of the time, but for me, that's success. And actually, the government in various countries can make stats read whatever they need to make them read. So that's not always a gauge. I think for us, it's the way that our clients update the way in which they function to enable their workforce and their new, new talent to be successful. Do you have any clients that say, oh, we're not interested in, uh, in differences in our company ever? No one ever says that. No one ever comes out and verbally says that, but we have people that we have initiated conversation with, but then through their actions, you can tell that they're in it for the wrong reasons or they're not actually going to make a difference. And then that's usually when we either we present them with the options and we present them with the why what they're doing is not going to achieve what they're setting out to achieve. And then again, they've got choice. There's a lot of people that need help in this world. We can't help everyone. And if they're not ready to be helped, maybe at this moment in time, Maybe we're not the partner for you or this is not something we're ready to engage in. Because I think the one thing that differentiates TAP from everything at the core is that meaningful element of it and the actual the change that needs to happen. And it's not easy and it's not always quick, but it is always worth it. But no one ever 
comes out because they know it's the wrong thing to do. So they never come out and say, no, we're not going to do that. And it might just be that they're not in a place at that time to do it. Do you know what? The majority of the time is they wanted to, but they had completely miscalculated the gravitas of the situation and just how, how, how much needs doing. But no, like I think the biggest barrier tends to be people go, oh, yeah, we're doing it, but we're not there yet. Or we haven't got the budget for it this year. And that's when we say, well, actually, if you look at inclusion as a whole, it's more cost effective. Because if you make things inclusive, it doesn't matter what your difference is. Everyone can benefit. Um, so, yeah, but the most common um, hurdle is not the people are like, it's not for us. Though people do say that, but not in as many words. Um, it's more, it's not for us at this time, or we don't have the budget. What are the new development for TAP? What are the new projects? Oh, so one thing that we developed during lockdown, and we'd always wanted to, when we, because the other thing is, at TAP is, yes, it's Steve and I that co-founded it, but we were a very collaborative team, because again, the strength is in the diversity and the experiences, and we've all got stuff to bring to the table. So we regularly have team discussions where we look at things and one thing that we were all very keen on at the inception of the organization was that a lot of us have been able to be who we are and, and achieve what we've achieved because we kind of operate in like a freelance world and so we were like right we want to be able to offer that so we always talked about creating a platform to connect freelancers with working opportunities so that they were in control really of when and how they worked, which is what works really well for people with differences. Um, and so in the lockdown, we were able to launch our platform called Podium. And so it is it's a marketplace for people with disabilities. And again, there's a lot of disabilities out there, right? If you cannot work or it's not beneficial or optimal for you to work in a conventional environment, then you are disabled in some way. Then let's look at the opportunities. Let's look at how we can help you. So Podium, yes. Yeah. So what happens is there's two ways it works. As a freelancer with a disability, you upload a platform and um, a profile, uh, upload to the platform, sorry, a profile um, showcasing your talents and your skills or your interests or what, or almost looking for work. And then the flip is an organization might post an opportunity or a role and it might be a one-off project. It might be just one task. It might be some regular sort of work. And then you kind of match up. So the platform doesn't match you. You look. So if you're the freelancer, you can look at the opportunities available. And if you are the, the organization posting, you can have a look at what freelancers are available and you can connect with them. The benefit of that is we, many of us within the team, know how beneficial it can be to be a freelancer with a disability. But we also realize, as with any freelancer, mostly you get your opportunities from being in the right place at the right time or having a network or word of mouth or all of those different things. And a lot of people with disabilities have never had the experience, that ability to build up that experience or be in that place because people don't give them the chance. This was a doorway into that world, but also some of the individuals have used it to get work, to build up a portfolio, to then start going to job interviews and saying, look, this is my work experience because a lot of people with disabilities don't have work experience either. And I think, That's something that people who don't have a disability don't understand because why would you? You've never needed to know it, so you don't know it. And then the way that the pricing happens is, as with freelancing generally, either the job comes with a, with a price and you either take it or leave it or you negotiate or the freelancer sets their price and then, again, the negotiation happens. And there is a fee for using the platform, but as, as with any freelancer, you build that into your costs Um, and it's 20%. So obviously um, the money is held and the, the payment services happen and then the rest of the money gets split between going back into developing the product and the platform and a donation to a charity of the freelancer's choice. So when the freelancer signs up, they're asked about a charity, um, but they can change that at any time. So some freelancers, they'll be like, right, every time I do a job, I'm going to change it. Um, Some people leave it as the same charity for the whole time. Or it might be like this month I'm going to donate to this charity and this next month I'm going to go there. For example, for myself, I like I have a charity that I'm a patron of, um, a charity that I'm an ambassador of, 
and then a charity that means a lot to me because of experiences I've had. So my mum, my mum had cancer and passed away. So it's a cancer charity. So so I'm often in a position where I'll be like, right, I'll donate this time to these people, this next time to this one, and then and then I'll circle. So again, that but that's down to the freelancer. Like they choose who they want to donate to and how often they want to change that, if at all. Where can people find the Podium platform and connect with you in general? Podium is on our website. If you Google like Podium by Tap or anything like that, it will come up. Because people would come to our website at Tap and look for opportunities. Because at one time, like I said, it started off very much as a a recruitment sort of organization. And for a long time, even when we transitioned people still associated us with recruiting. So they would come to our website to look for opportunities that way. But actually, a number of people want to work from home. So if you go to theabilitypeople.com, then you can access Podium that way. So it's in the work from home tab. It's called paid work from home. It's like, again, we don't do work from home for free. But then again, if you go to Podium by tap.com, you will also find it. But I can send you those links if you want and then you can I, I can put it on the show notes yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. um the ability people you find us with the ability people the problem with tap is obviously there's a lot of taps taps in a brief yeah <laughs> so but yeah the ability people.com and then find it but it's quite nice i think sometimes to explore the website generally and just get a feel for it um and then the key is not everybody wants to be a freelancer so it's mm. not for everyone but it is for a lot of people and it does open a lot of opportunities up Yeah, I like it. You know, it's not for everyone, but if you want it. Some people need structure, but also a lot of people have found work through um, Podium in the sense that they started out as a freelancer, but then it's reoccurring opportunity with the same organization. And you just, so you kind of then get in a rhythm. And there's always, then, like I said, the opportunity to build up that portfolio and start to look for more um, regular work. But again, it's, again, some people like that freedom of knowing that they can take your job or not. I think Podium could be revolutionary for a lot of people, I yes. think, because a lot of people with disabilities sit at home and actually because the world isn't set up for them and they might be self-taught or or they've done a lot of education but they've never got a chance to showcase their skills or take that to the next level. And I think that's where Podium can come in really well for those people because that's where they can put everything that they've learned formally into action. Wonderful. Anything else you want to share? I think one thing I didn't say was it's just their knowledge. Like there's this assumption that they don't have the same level of knowledge as everyone else, but they do. And people are missing out on it because they assume they haven't got it. But like I always think back to, I love that movie Hidden Figures, you know, the movie like about NASA. Oh, yes. Like amazing. I love it. Like they would never have thought to ask those ladies ever. But then we'd still like, they, so they wouldn't have made any progress. And it's actually... That's the point is when, what's the benefit as well? Two minds are better than one, right? Like it's the same with anything, but we're programmed that we have to give everyone a label, don't we? And we have to identify with them. Why don't we just let people be? Yeah, be themselves. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Liz. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did you like this episode? If you've enjoyed listening to Better Business Founder, why don't you share this podcast with a friend that could also benefit from these conversations? You can also subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and leave a review to help other people find these conversations. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. Hello at betterbusinessfounder.com. And I would love to hear from you because I believe that your business is the catalyst to create the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm.